Which bar next, mate? You know, it's quite late. You know, we should Whoa. be. You know, you know when I said to you to actually go shopping in Amsterdam. Yeah. yeah. I didn't mean that kind of window shopping. Look, 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 look where we are now. Look. She's I waiting. think that it's it's daylight. Look, the sun is rising look. already. And you know what? We're supposed to be somewhere. You do realise that? Look, it's only half past nine. Where could we possibly need to be? Well, are you half past nine. You don't want to work, right? Oh, I'll tell you what, we're going to another nightclub, so let's go to another nightclub. You take me to another nightclub? Yeah, let's go okay. to another nightclub. We're, we're gonna, you go, yeah, just order an Uber for me? No, just follow me. We go, yeah, an Uber. Let's take an Uber. Okay, yeah. let's jump in. We're just going to go, um, yeah, just... You're yeah, going to direct them? We're going to go. Yeah, we're there. Okay, now, through so, that curtain. I need another beer first, There's quickly. An, okay. Ask me a beer. Um, okay, here you go. Right, we're going to go through cling, that cling, curtain. Come on. Down the hatch, you and me, come on. One more. You're getting heavier. Okay, oh. ready? We're gonna go into this night. Are you ready? Now we're going I'm, through? I'm looking yep. for, what's special about this one? Look at all the flashing lights. Flashing lights, yeah, yeah. poles. Yeah. This is your sort of place, sir. Okay, here we go. La, da, da. Come on, let's, let's order some beers. Does this music sound familiar? This is FinTech Unplugged with Suresh Bajani and me, Robert Courtney. Wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. Cheapest. This is like flashback to a Christmas, the whole lab thing. No, no. What are you, ma what are you making no, in here? We are, we are at Money 2020. Yeah? We need to be on stage. We are, we are on are stage. Who are all these people? We are on stage, Robert. Yeah, yeah? Sit down. Okay, okay, okay. Sorry, mate. Oh, my God. Hi, Welcome everyone. Welcome, everybody. So you are here at Live Fintech Unplugged. We are a podcast session. What's the easiest way, Robert, to explain what we do? We talk about fintech with no hold barred, and we crucify whoever is on stage with us. We're not really supposed <laughs> yeah. to say that. We're supposed to say that oh, at the end. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. We're a very controversial podcast. Basically, we have... Don't go! We're still forgetting what's happened. Was <laughs> what there something the we said? Everything is unscripted. Everything happens as it happens. We have something here called the bin of confusion. Or the bowl of confusion today. Question, or the bowl of confusion, apologies. Where we get questions from the audience. And the, the thing is, we don't duck any question. And we've even had some questions that probably we shouldn't have asked live on stage. But we've asked them regardless. So with that to do, we've I would like to people. introduce you to our victim. Yes. Guests, guests. Our kind guests. Um, we have a, a, a young guy here who's just poured his water over because... Uh, He's just <laughs> pretending to drink water. The vodka's finished. Yeah. Um, so we have Mark Burnett from MasterCard. And, and we have Nick Ogden, founder, founder of WorldPay. And founder of yep. ClearBank. And uh, I wanted to do, ask about his bank account, but later, <laughs> how much money he's got. So Nick, Nick, someone once told me that you said sometimes it's good to say no or something like that. What, why would you say that? It's quite, quite important, I think. Um, you know, everybody in here is an innovator in some way, shape or form. Many of us have gone through trying to raise money in some shape or form and varying amounts. Um, and sometimes you just have to turn around and say no. You might be up against the wall being pushed and need to do something, but it's important to say no. And the flip side of that is the answer is always no unless you ask the question. So if you go into a difficult meeting and you think, you know, do I want to ask that? And you think, no, I'm not going to be brave enough to ask the question. The result of not asking the question is the answer is always no to you. So no is quite an important word. I'm beginning to think I should have said no to coming on this panel. Yes. So yeah, is it also true to say that the, the, your first car was a Sinclair C C5 by your hero, Clive Sinclair? 
know, it's fair to say I do know Clive Sinclair and his brother, but I didn't ever manage to get in a C5. So you, what was your first car? Um, a 3.8 E-type Jaguar. Age 17? Uh, 18. I'm just trying to work out if I was around when you that car you were, was... You weren't born, okay. were you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Mark, we're in, a, in a, an interesting lab in the middle of Amsterdam. I don't know what they're making, but what's brewing in MasterCard at the moment? What is the... the, the well, the lots and lots making? of things. You will have seen a lot of announcements about open banking and various things. But the one thing that I would say that's brewing particularly for me is something called Pay by Bank App. Puts pay by Bank App. Pay by Bank it App. I wonder, what it, I wonder what it does. I don't know. It, it enables nothing. you to pay using your mobile banking amazing. app. Oh, like, amazing. It's like Ron Seal. What it round says of applause, the please. Come on. Oh. Innovation. Innovation. How, how much did no, the marketing team charge you for that? In fact, you know, we released a digital study yesterday. 66% of people in the UK use their mobile banking app. And it's all going up all the time. What you can do, use it for is very limited. I mean, you can pay pays you've set up in, in, on your online banking. You can shift a bit of money between accounts. But you can't use it for going shopping. That's and not good. By the end of this year, you will be able to use it going shopping. Both HSBC and Barclays are putting it into their mobile banking app. And then we have deals right across the merchant acquiring world to try and get the ecosystem going. End of the year, you'll start to be able to use your mobile banking app to go shopping. And what's the, what's the great name marketing came up for this again? Pay by Bank App. Pay <laughs> by Bank App. And how much did you pay the marketing agency to come up with that name? Yeah, because clearly that took them a lot. <laughs> uh, uh, I think we came up with it ourselves. And, 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 and pushing back on this great theme of spending a lot of money on marketing for less is more, what happened to the word MasterCard? We took it out of the brand. Yes. Yeah, no, I tell you, I tell you anyway. actually, we updated the brand. You'll see it looks much crisper, much more uh, suitable for a digital age. But also, we took the name out. There aren't many brands in the world, you know, think Nike, think McDonald's, where you could recognize the brand by its mark rather than actually having the name in. MasterCard is one of those. So in a world where cards are becoming less and less a part of payment, why have the name MasterCard when we can just so have... Just stuck with the two balls. Just stuck with the two balls. <laughs> OK, well, that's, that's always good to know. That's, Keep it that's simple. something close to Robert's heart. I don't know what you're coming on about there. It just looks a bit like the Money 2020 logo. I, no. So, Robert, you should dive... We, what we should are we going to dive actually, in? We haven't, we haven't done a brief introduction... To whom? ...into the background, right? So we have... We have President of MasterCard. President. Europe. President, right? Or Master All of hail. the Universe. <laughs> and we have the founder like of WorldPay, someone that made lots of money and then kind of gave, gave it, it all away. away. Gave, gave, it gave away, away $43 billion. Well, you have to do your bit, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> when you get your first E-type at 18, do you need $43 billion? That's uh, the bagatelle. I know, it's funny, isn't it? It's funny because everybody looks at big valuations and all the rest of it. And I don't. I look at the team that's involved in the business and how, if they're all happy and whether the things move. And were they happy? Um, I think the people up on the executive team were probably very happy. Nick, in terms of when did you realise that WorldPay was going to get to the destination it did? When you first started, I mean, how many of you were there? And when did you realise and said, you know what, I've made it, drop mic? Well, I don't think well, I don't think I have it done yet, actually, <laughs> because um, you know you you know life's about a journey. You go through different things, and you look back and you say, well, you know, if I'd stayed doing that, would I have done this? And I think the answer is, you know, I've managed to do a number of different things and enjoyed doing all of them. Um, I think that um, when the the recent sale of WorldPay went through, I got collared by the BBC to do, a, you know, what did you think of it? And I dug out the floppy disk that we did the original business plan on in 1997 
And the challenge with that is I'm still trying to find somebody with a floppy disk reader to put the damn... <laughs> <laughs> to yeah, actually find the out, find out what disk. we said. But fortunately, I had a printed copy. And it was interesting that, that by uh, 2000, we were actually on track for the business plan. Um, but I think the, the major thing about WorldPay was that we, we weren't a payments company. It didn't start out to be a payments company. It was fixing the fact that you know, the internet created a global market, but we didn't have a global currency. And it was how to allow people to understand the value of goods and services that they were buying in the money that they spent every day. And that was, the, that, if you like, was the, the secret source behind WorldPay. Fantastic. Well, I've, I've, I've dug into the sick ball of confusion. I've pulled out the first question. And I'm, I'm going to ask it to, to Mark. Um, he doesn't know what's this. I don't know what's this. It says, I've heard that 20 to 25 percent of payment declines are projected as a direct result of SCA, or secure customer authentication. Whose job is it to stop this merchant carnage? It's an encyclopedia you just read. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Look, keep, it's, it's, here we it, go. It, what's it, the answer? It's, the answer is the industry as a whole. Um, so it's, it's up to issuers, it's up to acquirers, it's up to the schemes, us, and it's up to merchants. 14th of September is going to be a very big day across Europe for SCA. Um, I think the ecosystem is nearly ready. I am concerned about a long tail of merchants who aren't quite ready. Uh, and I'm hoping that although the ecosystem will be operationally ready, that enforcement of compliance isn't necessary. We're going to need some sort of grace period while this beds in. Because the last thing, as you say, the last thing we want is on the 14th of September of this year for 20% of online transactions to be declined and be a disaster for the industry. So we must make sure that doesn't happen. Nick, I mean, you're ex-world pay. They'd, they'd be right into this space, wouldn't they? Yeah, well, I think it's interesting. Back in 2000, we launched the Internet Payments Guarantee at WorldPay, which was guaranteed by WorldPay Trusted Worldwide. Uh, because we knew even then that we had to sort of put in some consumer confidence and stand behind the, the, our transactions and be responsible for them. I think it's interesting it's taken nearly 20 years for all of that to catch on. Um, but every step forward, I think, is a, is a benefit. The big change, I think, that we've yet to see is the impact of cognitive services and identity within bank as a service and how all of this lot then starts to tie back together. Fantastic. And, and, and do you guys think that the regulators are getting it right, right? I mean... There's so many rules being imposed on payments companies. We need to do, you know, I mean, I've spoken about it before, but there was all these things about we're going to lower <coughs> interchange because it's going to be beneficial for the merchants and the merchants never passed it on, et cetera, et cetera. There's so much change happening in the payment space. The regulators are imposing all of these things. What do you guys think? Are they getting it right? And you might say, well, that's my company view and that's my personal view, just in case we have any lawyers in the room. <laughs> So I think the uh, re regulators on the whole are far better nowadays than they were looking back eight, ten years back. You know, who would have thought that the Bank of England and the FCA would both have sandboxes to drive innovation? And in the UK, we they really... They probably wouldn't know what a sandbox was then, right? They used to go to Blackpool on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and it's a bit like in 2014 when we we're talking about building Clearbank, and they said, well, "What are you going to do? How, where's this bank going to be?" And I said, "In the cloud." And they all looked out of the window. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but they they are really working hard to get up to speed. But it's I mean it's a tough job being a regulator because you've got to balance the responsibility of making sure that all of us in this room, as consumers and users of financial services, are protected, which is their principal role and the fact you then allow innovation to drive forward. And sometimes, you know, we, we all have seen innovation that is questionable, and, you know, we're, we're the professionals, theoretically, in here, 
they're not. So, you know, you have to strike a balance. So the regulators are getting less wrong, you're saying? I think the regulators are really embracing the industry in a way that they've never done before. And I think that if anybody goes, is setting up a new business and they need regulation, if they go along and talk to the regulators today, they'll be welcomed, right, as long as they're open and transparent. And if they're trying to do something a bit grey, head for uh, the door. Just quickly on clarification, when you talk about regulators, are you talking about UK regulators, EU regulators, or regulators in countries all around the world? Because there are some countries where the regulators are not quite as accommodating. Um, what, you mean like the German regulators or...? Or, I don't know, maybe oh. the American regulators. No, the American regulators are very open. Yeah? I say, personally say that. You know, control of currency and the feds, they are very, very open for business, open to look at new things. So if, you th if you've heard otherwise, that's wrong. Every, I think, knows ECB, they're open for business. Some of the, you know, wilder extremities of the planet, yeah. uh, Australia, for example, is a wild extremity. Um, <laughs> they are open, you heard it first, open yeah. for change. <laughs> Just take one piece of regulation, PSD2, we all know about it. SCA is one part of it. The other part of it is open banking. SCA is a very, very good thing. Uh, it's the chip and pin for e-commerce, which should be fantastic once it's fully implemented. Open banking, who knows, it's probably the biggest change to the payments industry and the banking industry that's ever happened, yep. that has ever happened. And five, ten years down the track, we don't know what the industry's going to look like. Yep. So I think these are very, very big things the regulators are doing. And there may be some unintended consequences of those a little bit down the track. Yep. So we need to be careful that we don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. I think the market education on open banking is yet to be done. And if any of you in here, when you get back home, where, whichever country that is, you know, go into a pub and say, you know, what's open banking mean? Most of the answers will mean it means the branch is staying open longer. <laughs> you know, actually, we, um, got down there. we actually asked some people on the street what open banking was in the UK, and people said, I'm already using it. And we're like, really? It hasn't even come out yet. And they're like, yeah, I use the ATM machine. It's open 24 hours a day, and <laughs> it's, uh, I use open banking. <laughs> so, so open banking, as you say, is, is coming through. But we heard only, only last week that Zuckerberg was with Bank of England. The f new Facebook coin is coming through. A lot of banks are getting worried that the Facebook coin could remove banking. Yeah, I, I think it's unlikely. The fundamental thing with payments is the need for trust between the two parties. And to create that trust is a, is a big and complex thing. We do it using global brand and building up a network of 50 million acceptance locations, 2 billion cardholders and connecting all those together. In the gig economy, it's done by two-way feedback. Your Uber driver gives feedback on you and you give feedback on your Uber driver. To support a digital fiat currency backed by a Bank of England, that might be different to supporting a Bitcoin. I'm, I'm looking at this Facebook thing as somewhere in between those two things. And displacing cash, displacing uh, whole payments networks, I think it's very unlikely. Nick? I think it's quite interesting because if you go back in time, like 2,000 odd years, you know, we moved from measurements of you know, physical animals to this thing called a novmamissimo, which was a, the first coin that came out. Um, and, you know, what if the Facebook coin actually isn't really an, an equivalent to Bitcoin, but is a method of barter that we can all use to value our own goods and services and trade between ourselves? They can do that globally. There's no regulation. It will be fun doing that. Yeah. Get them users and all the rest of it. And it would allow them to, to move into the market four or five years of operating this pseudo-fun barter coin while the regulators sort themselves out. 
you know, we get to know exactly what they're trying well, to apparently do. Apparently, there are seven national banks already involved, including the Bank of England, yep. and they're looking at creating a bucket of global currencies to create the value of the coin so that it's not dependent on any one government. I, I think it is not scary or concerning. I, I just think it is another step forward in the evolution of money. Yeah, well, on that right. same topic, I would love to hear from a kind of clear bank perspective and MasterCard perspective, what is their appetite for crypto? What is it? You know, because there are, I would say that a few years ago, it was the wild, wild west and crypto is maturing, but there's been a reluctance. Why do you, why do you think there's been a reluctance for the traditional banks uh, to touch anything to do with crypto? I mean, I know clients that we work with that would love to do it, but they can't because their settlement accounts are held with banks that will not allow you to deal with crypto. So I'd love to get both of your views, from one from a scheme perspective and <coughs> one from a bank perspective. I think that um, you know any of you who have been to Harvard or whatever know this statement, and there's the American business phrase, which is the pioneers get the arrows and the settlers get the land. And I think we're still in the pioneering stage. There's an awful lot of arrows flying around in this <laughs> marketplace. You know, to have a currency, if it's a currency, where 13% of the currency in circulation is stolen, is somewhat worrying, to say the least. That's just um, Robert doing it. I know, I know. <laughs> He's paying for his beer. Um, <laughs> Someone's but, really. Yeah, but I, the other thing as well is I think <coughs> sometimes, you know, why did all of that lot happen? It happened because of the inability of the banks to really get their act together and improve the way that payments operated internationally and, and make the system work, take some of the free... And a lack out. of understanding, would you say? I, I think it's, you know, banks are the only industry in the world with no service level agreements to their customers. I didn't mm. know that. Interesting yeah, point. Yeah, I mean, if you, go to, if you go to your bank and ask them to do something, they'll say yes, but they won't tell you when and you won't know when it's going to happen. You know, you're in an expectation that something will happen at some stage. That's got to change and it will change over the course of the next five to seven years. All right? So will, you know, private cryptocurrency um, uh, systems work? Yes. Are they safe? Yes. It's when you move them out into the open blockchain where it can be forked, that's where the issues arise. And I think a lot of work's going on in relation to that to try and make that safer. And then the, you, you flip that back to a bank, you know, which we are. You know, do we want to be in a situation where we processed a payment for a Mrs. Smith of Three Acacia Gardens, where the value of what she's bought, she thought was £100, suddenly becomes 50 and she looks upon so us... So it's the volatility the that's the issue. It's yeah. the vol volatility, lack of regulation, and I think question mark over the business stack cases in some, yeah. some examples. So, so, Mark, from your perspective, from a scheme perspective, you're not regulated, and MasterCard, I would say, have a love-hate relationship with crypto. I mean, that's my view. But what's your view? Um, yeah, I think the love-hate relationship kind of sums it up. You know, if you think of what a currency is, it's a, a, a means of exchange, a store of value, and a unit of account. And cryptocurrencies have failed on two out of those three to date. I'm much more interested in the concept of a digital fiat currency. Um, one of the territories I look after is Sweden. They have looked very hard uh, and are continue to look very hard at this. I know the Bank of England's had a working group on it as well. But the harder you think about it, the more complex it becomes because effectively what you're doing is privatizing or nationalizing the commercial banks. Um, once the, the fractional banking system is no longer as it would be and banks don't create money in the way that they do today, you fundamentally altered um, the banking industry in your country. So it's something that needs thinking about quite hard. Uh, so is your stance that if somebody does want to do crypto, 
you will look at it on an individual basis, but you don't have a... No, we have a lot of, uh, plenty of um, prepaid issuers where, although all the transacting on the card is within the regulated AML, KYC, fiat currency world, one of the stores of value you can have on that card is a cryptocurrency, it effectively enabling you to invest in crypto without using it to transact. And I think that's a perfectly reasonable thing Like the thing Revolut to, product uh, that you have. As yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I've got a question out of the bucket here, um, and it's, it's aimed at Nick. I think it's a wider question, but it says, Nick, you predicted voice authentication would take over the world a few years ago. Yep. Is voice still valid for the future? Yeah, we, we built a system called VoicePay back in 2007, just before the banks ran out of their customers' money and caused the global financial <laughs> crisis. Timing. Um, it's timing. And, you know, one of the, I've still got the podcast that we did with Rory Bremner when he was trying to break voice authentication, voice biometrics, and he failed to do that. Um, and we also had the BBC radio presenters who do the Today programme try and do the same thing, and they failed. Um, I think that the, the point about voice, and we were using it in a very, very interesting experiment in the, the Middle East with uh, Emirates Bank, where we had construction workers working on a building site who were earning money, getting paid money, but they couldn't read or write, but they understood numbers. And they needed to send their money home. They needed to make remittances. And so what we did was we built a platform using voice biometrics, which allowed them to make a phone call, key in a number, 100, because they knew they'd been paid 100, and send it back to a prepaid beneficiary electronically. And they signed that transaction using their voice. And the whole platform was built using their natural dialect, so it was just having a conversation. That went away because the banks couldn't afford to invest in the technology. And I think that where we've now moved to is a wider um, a range of cognitive services. We've got voice, you know, most people sign in with their face on their f uh, onto their computer or their phone. And the whole use of, of cognitive services and biometrics has exploded. And I think we're going to get to a point where we will choose as consumers or business owners the cognitive services that we use to identify. The opportunity in that is then how do you consolidate all of that so you've got a single global identity that's transferable so you can use it where you want to. Mark, what about biometrics? What's, what's MasterCard's Oh, I, we, I definitely think biometrics is the future. You know, we're going through SCA. Um, most of that's going to be one-time password via SMS to start. The, the end point is biometrics, whether it's, it's voice, it's face, it's yeah. thumbprints, doesn't really matter. Um, ultimately, Robert's case, I, I shirts. Think Shirt. Yeah, sure. The shirt metrics. Shirts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think shirts are going to quite cut it. <laughs> Did you get a question, Suresh, out of the bin? So I've actually got a question I thought we would be able to avoid, but it's, it's the dreaded B question. And I'm going to go to you, Mark, first. Okay. Right? <laughs> Beekeeping again. So, so what's the real deal with Brexit? You know, what, what, you know, what's your... I mean, there, there's the pros and cons, and I think you're one of the few people that can actually see both sides of the argument. Am I? So, <laughs> so what, tell me, what's your, your personal situation, your personal stance? Where do you see both kind of arguments? Well, I can see perfectly valid arguments on both sides, yeah. absolutely. Personally, I think it's a shame that the UK voted to leave. I also think it's a shame that a parliament that doesn't want to leave is blocking the will of the people. So it's a difficult one. Sadly, I don't think a, a new leader is going to change the arithmetic in Parliament and make any difference. Therefore, I think at some point we're heading towards a general election, which is probably not something that we need in our country right now. So we're in a bad place, and it's pretty difficult to see 
uh, an easy way out of it. And do you think that could potentially topple this fintech crown that the UK have held for a number of years? I don't think so. I mean, the, from what I'm seeing, ever, since it was announced, uh, investment in fintech keeps going up and up. In fact, most of the fintechs in the UK are with us, and I'd say nine out of ten are, and they are doing fantastically well. I mean, the thing that really amazes me about the Monzos and Starlings and Revoluts of the world is how their business model is so different. You know, they've got millions of customers, and they support those millions of customers with hundreds of people, with just a few hundred people. That is fundamentally different to the banking model that we've grown up with. Um, and it's the business, yes, they've got wonderful apps, wonderful user journeys, all, all, all the UX stuff we know about, <coughs> but it's that change of business model that really, I think, now they're achieving some scale that is the thing to, to look out for over the next two or three So years. MasterCard aren't gonna close their London offices and do some big headquarters somewhere else? We, we, look, we're in, we operate in 220 countries around the world, so it, it really, Brexit doesn't really, it, it matters to our customers who've had to re-license and do things, but really to us, um, it, it's a pretty neutral play. I got a question that Suresh needs to answer because I can't read it. Um, but in the That's interim, never a good I just sign. wanted to ask Nick. Nick, um, and anyone that knows Nick, uh, like I do, uh, knows that he doesn't go quiet. And literally, I know he's been behind Clearbank, but if anyone knows him, he's disappeared for at least the last 18 months. And I know I don't want to put you on the spot, but what the hell have you been doing? Oh, well, I'd love to tell you, but... No, um, when Other than skiing with your boy. Well, no, yeah, my, my son's a good skier. Just quickly, just on the Brexit point, uh, I don't know whether everybody's heard, but Theresa May has taken my advice and got Jeff Bezos to go and advise her on the divorce. Uh, he's <laughs> 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 but, uh, anyway, so no, um, when, we set, when we went through the process of setting up Clearbank, um, it was really interesting because we had this idea that you know, the only way to change the UK marketplace was to bring up a new clearing bank, mm -hmm. sit alongside, not challenge the existing incumbents. And so that was a really interesting journey, you know, a couple of year, years work with the regulators, learning and presenting to them what was a naked clearing bank in effect. Um, and towards the end of the process, you get to a, a point where you think you're going to get authorised. And I asked the regulators if I could be executive chairman of Clearbank for a couple of years um, to sort of maintain innovation and leadership, I guess. Um, so there's quite a complicated process you have to go through for the um, Monetary Policy Commission and the, the board of the bank, court of the Bank of England, to actually approve you to do that. Um, so I was very fortunate to get that permission for t a two-year period. Uh, which came to an end at the end of last year. So during the earlier part of last year, we started bringing in a non-exec chairman into Clearbank, and I started working on a new project, which I'm not going to tell you about. <laughs> and with two minutes to go, I think you have to ask the difficult so question. I don't think the truth is that you couldn't read this. It was that <laughs> this looks like your handwriting. <laughs> um, so true to form, as the theme of Money 2020 is alchemy, have any of you two, I'm not going to say three, no. any of you two, had any chemical interludes whilst <laughs> in Amsterdam? <laughs> well, we were on a, uh, a boat last night. Thank you, Hogan's and Lovell, if you're in the audience. And there was some very strange smell. I don't know whether that counts. It's <laughs> probably organic people. I think that was a blocked toilet. <laughs> I think we're all standing on the boat hoping it would stop soon. We could get to the toilet, but anyway. Yeah, we do get the odd question. We've got about a minute and a half to go. Crypto is barely on the agenda at Money 2020 this year. What does that tell us? I think we can have a 
bit of a guess think, about that one. I, I think, think it tells us quite a lot because a couple of years ago it was right in the middle and there were loads and loads yeah, of crypto stalls and now everything. they're all pushed over in a little corner yeah, yeah. and everyone's so talking what, what about do you think that? What, what does that mean? Because, well, I, there was a huge bubble a couple of years ago when uh, Bitcoin was worth... Uh, 20,000. 20,000. And everybody was talking about it, but it was really never anything more than an interesting uh, asset class for investing in, uh, rather than the currency. And this is uh, this is about money and payments, not about uh, uh, alchemy. Alchemy, exactly. You, Nick, you'll, you'll remember this. You're older than me, Robert. And that is, Thank you. I'm older than everyone here. Yeah, we used to talk about the streets of London being paved with gold. And exactly. We stopped doing that, didn't we? So it's probably the same effect. Ah, it is. Just it's one thing, each of you. What do you think will be the biggest? influencer in the payment space, like one aspect, what would you say? Open banking. Open banking. Open banking it is. So thank you all. Thank you, audience. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Thank you to my mate, Suresh. And thank you all for coming. We love it. Woo! Done. Cheers. Fintech Unplugged is available for download on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast and tune in. So please subscribe today and remember to give us a five star rating.